From the University of Notre Dame, this is With a Side of Knowledge. I'm your host, Ted Fox. The idea behind this show is pretty simple. A university campus is a destination for all kinds of interesting people, representing all kinds of research specialties and fields of expertise. So why not invite some of these folks out to brunch? Yes, I said brunch, where we'll have an informal conversation about their work, and then I'll turn those brunches into a podcast. It's a tough job, but somebody has to do it. With the Side of Knowledge is supported by Soren's Restaurant inside Notre Dame's Morris Inn, which serves breakfast and lunch seven days a week and dinner Tuesday through Saturday. If you see us recording, feel free to stop by and say hi, preferably not when we're chewing. At Notre Dame, the name Matt Cashore is synonymous with photography. His 20-plus years visually chronicling the university, its faculty, and its students have produced scores of unforgettable images captured both on and near campus and around the world. But you don't have to take our word for it. In 2016, Matt was named the University Photographer of the Year by the University Photographers Association of America. For this episode, we talked about his experiences at Notre Dame, including how he got a now classic shot of the Golden Dome beneath a sky full of lightning, as well as photography more generally, and his three tips for taking great photos, which later became five, until we added a sixth. Did I mention Matt and I go back a ways? He also extended a challenge to you, the listener, related to his new coffee table book from Notre Dame Press. Successfully completing that challenge won't win you anything. And frankly, we don't even know the answer ourselves. But like everything else with Matt, it makes for a good story. Let me show you these cool pictures. Look at this one. Matt this, this is my favorite picture ever. Isn't this awesome? Welcome to With a Side of Knowledge. Thank you. You and I, I, we've known each other a long time. I was thinking about that when I was coming here. I don't know how long it's been. I... I think you may have been at WNDU when I was an intern there. Sounds about way, right. Way back in the day. Could be. Way back, early 2000s. Yes. So, I'm going to apologize for getting very meta on you at 8, 8 in the morning right now with my first question, but... I'm just going to nod with all the answers. <laughs> when I'm doing an interview like I am right now, I know my questions are the bridge between the person I'm talking to and the audience, and my goal is to ask things in a way... That lets them connect with you. How do you build that kind of connection between audience and subject in photography? What are the things that you're looking for when you're trying to tell a story with a single image or a series of images that lets whoever is looking at it make some sort of connection to it? Well, um, I think there's a connection to my audience as far as my Notre Dame pictures because... I graduated from Notre Dame, and I, I, uh, I belong to an organization of university photographers uh, called the University Photographers Association of America, and several of the members also graduated from the institution they work for, and I think there's, there's something extra there when you've been sort of steeped in the university that you're, you're working for uh, for a long time. Uh, and, and you understand what makes people connect to a place and you get the inside jokes and, and uh, 
would explain pictures of squirrels at Notre Dame. For <laughs> as a for instance, I would. Assume. I, I can think of a couple of quick examples. <laughs> the, there was one day, uh, I think it was around Valentine's Day, and, and there was some sidewalk chalk art, and and I, I passed one that said, "I would go to NDH for you." And I laughed out loud because, you know, I get that. And right. I lived on South Quad when I was a student. And <laughs> the whole design. South Dining Hall, North Dining Hall thing, I get right. that. And, and it made me laugh out loud. And <laughs> and it, it, it's almost gibberish to someone who didn't go to Notre right. Dame. But I, I tweeted it and, and, it, and everybody responded well to it. Uh, and another example was just this past weekend. Some of my football photos I, I submit to a... a a wire service, USA Today Sports, and so they'll get published. Uh, sports action photos will get published in USA Today or other newspapers or websites. Uh, and, and and other times, there, I, I'll put some sort of game day color, you might say, photos that sort of speak to where the game is happening, a photo of the Dome or Basilica or Library or, or people tailgating. Um, there was a picture of uh, confessional booths on the quad, and I thought, this is so Notre Dame. We retweeted that. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I, I knew that the Notre Dame audience would appreciate it, and they did. It got a lot of attention and, and, and retweets and likes and, and on social media, and, and people really uh, were kind of amused, delighted, call it what you will. But USA Today Sports, you could just hear their reaction. I, I submitted it to them. Huh? <laughs> this, yeah. this is so Notre Dame. You, right. So the, the Notre Dame audience got it in the way I intended, and, and right. the, the outside audience just was a little puzzled, and, and I don't think they uh, put it out on, on the wire. I would imagine whatever, wherever you're, you're applying your craft as a photographer, I imagine that ability to really have a connection with whatever subject matter you're trying to document, that probably shows through in the photos, as opposed to if you're going into something cold and it's just... Well, this is what people told me to go shoot. Right. Uh, yeah, definitely having a, a connection helps. You know, in the glory days of National Geographic, you'd always hear these stories about the, the, the photographer and their family just go move to wherever it might be, Dar es Salaam, for six months. And, right. And they just sort of get to know the place and before they ever shoot a single frame. That, it, that's ideal. Don't always get that, but... Again, in, in the day-to-day photographing Notre Dame, I think that that connection is already there for the most part. I know as a, a writer, I, I had the opportunity to interview Marilyn Robinson um, when she was here on campus for the Notre Dame Forum. And as a writer sitting there talking to her, I will admit I did have a little bit of stars in my eyes. So it was like, well, this is kind of overwhelming, a Pulitzer winner and, uh, and so on. And I know writers as a group of people we really do tend to have other writers that we look up to or that are inspirations to us or kind of mold the way we do what we do. And I'm wondering, as a photographer, did you grow up or during your formative years, did you have photographers that you looked to or places that you remember seeing photos that really kind of either made an impact on you, said, I want to do this, and formed your aesthetic? Yeah. There were certain newspaper and magazine photographers that I paid attention to in, in college and, and uh, sadly I don't think any of those people are still working for newspapers or magazines today it's just a, a state of the industry um, one of them was uh, one of them is, is David Turney he was a, a photojournalist for the Detroit Free Press but he always got the 
overseas assignments. So he was ne- he wasn't photographing Detroit. He was photographing Tiananmen Square right. for the Detroit Free Press, right. or the fall of the Berlin Wall for the Detroit Free Press. Pulitzer Prize winning, internationally known photojournalist, and he now is a professor of photography or photojournalism, not sure which, at the University of Michigan. So he was uh, with the Michigan team when they came to Notre Dame back in September. And so I was a tiny bit starstruck, but of course you have to play it cool and pretend like you don't care. Hey, hey what's up? But it was, <laughs> hey, that's David Turnley. Yeah. That's kind of cool. There's a Pulitzer Prize winner on the sidelines of ND Stadium right now. And uh, another photographer that I was uh, excited to meet was Pete Souza, the mm. White House photographer for President Obama. So when uh, President Obama came to Notre Dame in t- 2009, mm-hmm. uh, I was more starstruck by Pete Souza than <laughs> by the president. I have his book. I, I, I thought he was fantastic when he was working for the Chicago Tribune as their Washington bureau guy. I, I just flip through the Tribune and see and be like, who's this Pete Souza guy? What's what's his deal? He's just out of this world. And uh, when I got to know who he was and what he did, uh, and then he became the White House photographer and he established their Twitter or the Flickr account and, and, and was you know prolific on social media with them, uh, it was fun to follow him. And, uh, and, and his job, I think, resembles being a university photographer in many ways in that it's a blend of photojournalism and PR because you're ultimately trying to certainly show a positive image right. of the people you're working for, in his case, the White House, in my case, Notre Dame. Is there, like when you say flipping through the pages of the Tribune and you see something and you're struck by who is this guy that's doing this work, Is there are there tangible things that you can point to when you're looking at another photographer's work that makes that impression or is it just again maybe like writing where it's you just read it and it's a certain feeling that it gives you and you can't maybe necessarily articulate why but it just makes an impact yeah the answer to that is both yeah sometimes you can say only this photographer could shoot in this way or, or use a technique that would be risky uh, but you know, pays off and the, the, the low percentage shot, you say. Uh, and other times it's just sort of this photo just has a little something something that I can't easily put into words, but I look at photos all day, every day, and that's where my brain is all the time. And I can tell you just at a glance, instinctively, this one is better than most. Right. What was, where were you the last time in your job? Were you kind of took a step back and looked around and said this is exceptionally cool what I'm doing right not just I I know like you get to do all kinds of neat things and all kinds of interesting assignments but one that really you took a beat and was like wow this is pretty cool that I'm doing this right now on top of Victoria Peak in Hong Kong (laughs) a a recent one that I remember what were you doing there I was uh, accompanying the provost Tom Burrish and some others uh in a university delegation on a trip to three different cities, uh, Hong Kong and two cities in China proper. How different is it to be a photographer now when I imagine pretty much everything is done digitally versus when you were coming up in the 90s and I imagine almost everything was done on, on film. I imagine that's changed the job in some significant ways. 
there's a lot more photography just out there generally because yeah, anybody can do it. Uh, the barrier to entry to make a competent photo is non-existent. It used to be hard. It used to have to buy a roll of film, shoot the roll of film, not having any idea if you'd done it well or not, and then pay to have the film developed, and then only then find out if your results were any good. And if they weren't, that was a big discouragement to keep trying. <laughs> you, you couldn't just delete and keep shooting. Uh, the, the barrier to entry is, is certain, certainly much lower to the point of almost non-existent. And so there's just a lot more photos out there. So there's, it, it's more difficult to stand out. If you're an aspiring photographer, newspaper jobs used to be a, a, an avenue that you could pursue. Uh, those don't exist anymore. I mean, they do, but it's not, it's not a career growth uh, area, that's for sure. It's a small and, pool. Yeah, and, and shrinking, unfortunately. Um, digital, the internet, it's democratized it. It's generally good, but supply and demand, as far as the business of photography, supply and demand does what supply and demand does. Uh, so that it's it's a different, far different world than it was 20 years ago, 25 years ago. That went well into my next question because I was going to say smartphones and filters and Instagram and everything has convinced a lot of us that we are photographers when in reality we're taking photos. And I and I'm not I'm not trying to set you up to give the highfalutin photography guy answer, but maybe a little bit because I still. I think you're right. There has been this democratization, and I could take and tweet a picture of this setup before we started, which a way that, I mean, so many things about that sentence would have been true 25 years ago. I thought you were just trolling me for being late. <laughs> but I do think there is still a difference between taking photos, and I know people do great work on their iPhones and things like that, but the vast majority of us are taking photos versus what photography is as an art form, and I'm I'm saying that as a non-photographer, so I'm comfortable putting putting that that kind of I don't know this kind of ideal out there. If you were to try and sift out the difference between taking photos and photography, could you do that? Can you do you still see a difference? I know you said everyone's doing it now, but I feel like there is still something that there's a reason I'm talking to you and not someone who's just posting photos on Instagram. I'll try and I'll try and not be too highfalutin. We'll keep it mediumfalutin. <laughs> That's fair. One of the things that to me is a confirmation that I've done something more important than an Instagram photo on my iPhone or, or something that'll that'll get some attention briefly uh, is being able to see the long-lasting usage and impact of my photos over time so that's one of the nice things about being associated with Notre Dame for as long as I have so I can I can I can walk by a photo that's framed on a wall or, or part of a interior design scheme or uh, used in a promotion in some way and think to myself I shot that photo in 2004 <laughs> that's still inspiring people motivating people it still means something to people all these years later so that is a confirmation that I did something right mm -hmm. that, that I can still have that impact uh, after so many years. Yeah. And I, I mean, I would think too, just in terms of photos that are having that kind of impact long term, I do think there, I mean, there is a, 
I'll be highfalutin for you. There's an art form that goes into the, the composition of the photo, what you're looking to include in it, if it's from a, maybe an angle that people aren't used to seeing something that they've seen before. So I do, I, I know you're being modest and I, I appreciate that, but I do think there is there is a real talent to that, to being able to see something in a way that maybe other people haven't seen it that then inspires someone to say, hey, we're gonna, this 14-year-old photo is still going to be on our wall because it still means something to us. Do, do you have any tips for anyone out there looking to take their Insta game to the next level? Yeah. Or just get really good with your filters? Right, well, um, I'm going to go back to what I was told uh, my think somewhere between freshman and sophomore year of college, I think. I found out through the grapevine that a, a National Geographic staff photographer had, had moved to uh, my hometown, Lincoln, Nebraska, and I cold called him and just said, golly, sir, I'd like to come meet you. <laughs> and and he, he agreed to meet with me, and uh, and he told me three things go into a good photo. And, and number one was good light, number two was a good background. And then number three was a good composition. So to get sort of very basic and technical, the number one thing people can do to improve their personal photos or Instagram photos, whatever it is, is shoot in good light, which is usually in the wee hours of the morning and the evening and not in the middle of the day. Um, and then the second thing that's a really basic thing that most people don't know, but when you take pictures every single day, it becomes instinctive is... Watch your backgrounds. Make sure you don't have things coming out of people's heads. You're shooting a landscape photo of campus these days. You might want to be careful you don't have a crane in the background. Or maybe you do want the crane in the background, but probably, I'm guessing, most people don't. Just basic things like that. Sometimes people ask me, what are your secret spots for getting the, the good pictures of campus? And I don't have any secret spots. I go to the spots anybody else can go to, for the most part, and <laughs> just do it at the right time, which is... Whenever, I refer to it as the magic. Whenever the magic's happening, the, the, the combination of weather, season, light, when it all comes together, you just have to sort of be ready for it. And uh, fortunately, I live close to campus and I have an understanding spouse, so I can stop dinner preparations midstream, leave a lawn half mode, whatever it might be, when something crazy starts happening on campus, I can just... I can be on campus in a few minutes and, and you know, rainbow's going to last 15, 20 minutes tops. And so I can, I can catch it before it's gone. Or, or uh, you know, uh, if there's lightning, uh, you might have five or ten minutes of seeing the lightning before you're in the lightning. I don't want to shoot photos in the lightning. I want to shoot photos far away from the lightning. Um, so it's a brief window of time. You just have to be ready for it. And, and so... Understanding spouse, geographic proximity. Those are. Those, I'll add those to the. I was going to say the, those are the addendum. Good, good light, good background, good composition. Understanding spouse, geographic proximity. I, I'm glad you brought up a storm because I had a specific photo that I wanted to ask you about. That's probably it's one of my favorites of all the many great ones um, that I've seen of yours. But so to back up a second. Notre Dame Press recently published a coffee table book called This Place Called Notre Dame, which does not turn into a coffee table, by the way. Not like Kramer. No. That, that would, that's, that's a complaint. So, many, well, so well, many Seinfeld references <laughs> yes. in the production of that book. I could anyway. do a separate podcast about Seinfeld references for sure. Um, but 
So it's, it's your photography, Carrie Temple, the editor of Notre Dame Magazine, he did the text. And there is a photo in there, and I went and looked at the page number. It's pages 162 to 163. Sky behind the Dome and Basilica. It's kind of purplish gray. I, I personally, I mean, you were talking about the right light. I can't tell if it's dusk or dawn, but there's like six main bolts of lightning, and I couldn't count how many branches of lightning coming off that. And it's, I mean, it, to me, that speaks to, this is literally a moment in time, because it caught something. And I'm, I don't, do you know the photo that I'm yes. talking about? Can you talk a little bit about what went into getting that shot and how you capture a shot like that? Um, there, are, there are lots of layers of that. The, I can get pure tech nerd on you. I can, I can tell you. I like both. Uh, and, and, and this is where, this is where some, some visual aids would help. This, this funny part of the story is that was uh, the Friday night of reunion weekend, I think. Okay. And I had been working all day on reunion had gotten home. It was kind of a warm day. Uh, certainly, physically worn out, hot, ready to make myself a nice gin and tonic. <laughs> and I had just finished making my lovely post-workday drink reward to myself. And I looked out the window, and there was this giant rainbow. And I could tell from looking out my window that the rainbow was going to be in a really nice place to capture uh, the dome in front of it and, and I just remember sort of looking at my gin and tonic <laughs> looking at the rainbow saying I can have the gin and tonic or go back out and photograph the rainbow and sort of sadly putting the gin and tonic down <laughs> going back out briefly thought I could take the gin and tonic in the car with me no 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 <laughs> no, 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 no 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 there will be other gin and tonics let's go get the rainbow and uh, ran over to the lake and photographed the rainbow thinking to myself well there's there's a, a, a heck of a day ender that's that'll that's let's that's a that's a pretty good day let's just go ahead and and as I'm walking back to the car I look to the south and I see lightning shoot across the sky and oh my <laughs> so this is about 7:30 at night uh, 8:30 at night maybe and just from shooting campus for 25 years or more I thought all right lightning in the south where can I see a good shot of the campus skyline with the southern sky? And my little mental Rolodex spun around once or twice. Moreau Seminary. I got a, a little hill. You look across the lake. It's the back side of the dome, not the front, but the lightning's in the south, not the north, so it is where it is. And I had not intended to shoot any lightning, so this is where I'm going to get a little technical on you. To photograph lightning, what you actually need to do is have your camera on a tripod or something stable and you use a long exposure and you set your exposure to be whatever it takes to get your foreground or whatever it is you're trying to photograph the lightning over or in front of or behind and you try and make your shutter speed as long as possible 15 30 seconds so that the shutter stays open exposing your foreground and then hopefully at some point in that exposure the lightning happens and sort of writes itself into the photo so I didn't have a tripod with me because I wasn't expecting to shoot lightning. I saw a rainbow. You know, just I ran out the door and, and, and wasn't really thinking, let's shoot lightning. Um, so fortunately, Moreau Seminary has several benches in key locations. So uh, someone, another photographer I knew long ago said, God put tripods all over the world. So you just you have to find things that when you don't have a tripod, you can set your camera on things in a pinch and, and sort of do it yourself. And 
So I found a bench, put the camera on the bench next to me, and just kept pushing the button. I would say the 20th or 25th attempt, you can hear the shutter go click, and you're watching the sky, and you're watching the sky, and you're watching the sky, and you hope something happens before you hear it go click again. And, and I just remember hearing the shutter go click, and then seeing the lightning just streak across the sky, like you said, and then hearing it go click again, and just knowing, got it, got it. And uh, sat on the bench having a chat with a, uh, a priest from the seminary for 10 or 15 minutes, and had 20 exposures. Uh, that was... That was the winner, and I, I knew I had it. We'll uh, tweet it again with the episode, but I mean, it's it, it's one of those pictures that it's... I've seen a lot of pictures of the dome in my life, and that's one where you kind of say, wow, that that's that's pretty amazing. And, you know, and the, the, the great oh, thing did is... You, did you want some more coffee? Sure. <laughs> oh, no, you're good. Always need more coffee. You know, the, the Notre Dame audience can interpret it in... All sorts of ways. Some people saw it as a football metaphor, shake down the thunder, and some people saw it as a spiritual thing, mm-hmm. and, and so that you can sort of take away however that inspires you. Mm-hmm. And, and lots of people saw it in their own way, and, and yeah, that was that was a, that was a good night. <laughs> I haven't, haven't had another night like that in a while. <laughs> and but 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 it was also short. I mean, the time between. Leaving, I, I think the ice was still in my gin and tonic when you got home. When I got home, I mean, yeah. it, it, you know, these these things are so brief. You know, that lightning lasted twenty minutes. Mm-hmm. The rainbow lasted ten. Mm-hmm. You know, and so uh, just be ready. <laughs> Continuing on a little bit of the technical front, we had a, a listener on Twitter asked us what your go-to body and lens setup is if you have one. I'm 90% sure I know what that means, but the 10% of me that's not is just going to let you run with the answer. And this aspiring photographer, you can, your go to body and lens setup. Um, I like to say I'm brand agnostic. <laughs> I, I don't say any particular brand is better than any others. I, I, within the last year, have made pictures that have been published with Nikon, Canon, Fuji, Pentax, Sony, and Apple. <laughs> Uh, there's a photo in my book that I shot with my iPhone. I challenge your, your podcast listeners to guess what that might be. I like that. Uh, there's also a photo in the book I shot with my drone. Find that one. So, uh, go to body and lens. Most likely, if you bump into me on campus, I'm going to have a Nikon body of some sort. Not because I think it's any better, just because that's what I have the most lenses for. Uh, and a 24 to 70 zoom lens probably is is most likely thing you'll find me with okay and it was definitely the 10 percent where i wasn't right so i'm glad i just let you run with it i thought body was referring to your physical i wasn't thinking of the body of the camera so see that's why i knew just just to pass it along you when you were talking a little bit earlier about being on campus and we were talking about the book this place called notre dame um i know you said you know for the most part you don't really have act you can go anywhere else anyone can take photos and it's really about for the most part yeah and and even in you're telling your story about the lightning, the mental Rolodex of, well, where could I go to get this shot? To your mind, is there a spot on campus that you feel like is an underrated or overlooked spot for really great photos that you feel like you go there and you get great stuff, but most people would never even cross their mind to say like, oh, I wonder if I could get a cool shot of X over there. Hmm. 
I think the short answer to that's no. There isn't. There isn't. <laughs> Fair enough. There isn't that one spot. Uh, campus is always changing, which is kind of fun. And then again, a spot that is unextraordinary, 364 days out of the year. There's that one day where the sun is just in the right spot, uh, and, and and suddenly it is. There's a tree at the grotto that certain times a year when the sun makes its trek north enough, it'll backlight this tree, and the tree just looks like it's it's on fire. It's one of my that photo is one of my more favorite photos in my recent book because I'll I'll just sort of briefly tangent on myself and say that every single photo in the book. I, of course, saw before it was published in the book, but I, I, I have a thing that I like to say that if it's in print, it's special. So I, I probably had tweeted every single photo that was in that book at some point or another, or they've been used on a website, or you know, certainly I at least looked at it as I was shooting it. But for in many cases, that was the first time I'd seen any of those photos actually in print, and some of them printed quite large. And so it was, it was a surprise in, in some ways and definitely satisfying to turn a page and go, Oh yeah, cool. And and that, that photo of the grotto I'm describing is one of those. And that this tree gets backlit by the sun just a few days a year. I mean, the grotto is a nice place to shoot all the time, um, but certain times it's more extraordinary than others. Uh, and and other ways that the campus changes. The 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 grounds. The Notre Dame grounds crew has been doing a really good job the last couple of years. Kind of cleaning up some of the scrubby brush that is around the lakes. And so you walk around the lakes and, hey, this has a view that it didn't have before. There was It was blocked by overgrown weeds and you know, little scrubby trees, and, and it's a whole lot nicer now. And so there, there's opportunities that sort of pop up from time to time that weren't there. Um, so just keep looking. Yeah. This is our last question because I know our food's going to be getting here soon. If instead of taking you out to breakfast, I was handing you a blank check with the caveat that you had to use it to shoot something, you can't, you can't just can't abscond to like Fiji and we never see you again, unless that's where you want to go to shoot. But I'm wondering if I handed you a blank check to go anywhere in the world, on the, on the earth, under the sea, in the air, wherever... And you could shoot whatever you wanted to do, however you wanted to do it. Do you have a a dream thing that you haven't been able to to do yet? Well, years ago, I told Carrie Temple of Notre Dame Magazine, I, I, I have two dream assignments that I think you could connect me with. One of them is going to Cuba, and he did, and I did. Yeah. And the other one was to be on the deck of an aircraft carrier. So. That, that's that's what I, I we, we've got a surprising number of Notre Dame alums who are in in the military, naval aviators, um, and that's what I'd like to do. I want to do a story and, with one of them. And you've done a lot of thank you very yeah. much. You've done a lot of photography in planes, haven't you? Yes, and of planes. Yes, I'm, I'm an amateur pilot. And when you said if I could give you a blank check, I thought I'm going to buy an airplane. Okay, oh, an airplane. No, to, to go shoot photos. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I love doing aerials, yeah. and so I guess that's one place that many people don't go that occasionally I do. Um, Maybe you would be on an aircraft carrier in a plane, that would, leaving the aircraft carrier I, and then coming back in yeah, to land. Exactly. Yeah, that, that, somewhat less likely, but yeah, that would... <laughs> not impossible. Not impossible? Nothing, nothing's impossible. I mean, Father Hesburgh went in an SR-71, right? Nothing is impossible. That's right. Yeah, so I can back up and tell you a story of in one of those times you asked for you know one of the, one of those moments of 
like, exceptionally okay, this cool is, moments. This is, this is exceptional. Yeah, um, when when President Obama visited, they wanted to have a, a meeting between President Obama and Father Hesper, mm-hmm. and they arranged for this meeting to happen in a very small room, such that uh, the Secret Service didn't need to be in the room, uh, and and it was pretty tight for more than two or three people to be in the room at, at any given time, and so. At one point, there were three people in this room. President Obama, Father Theodore M. Hesburgh, CSC, and me. And I thought, all right, this is cool. And Not even Pete Sousa was in that room. Not at the moment, no. Yeah. And briefly, uh, I can tell you another story from the Obama visit. Uh, I have to do the group photo of all the honorees before the commencement ceremony. So the, the people who are getting honorary degrees, the Latari Medal recipient, the uh, commencement speaker some university uh, administrators and I, I had this photo all set up ready to go and, and everyone sits down and I start shooting and I'm thinking to myself I'm going to shoot five or ten photos because you want to make sure that everyone has their eyes open in the photo and I start shooting and click 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 I think you got one little work there that was President Obama basically telling me knock it off <laughs> and it and and I thought, was I taking too long? And I looked at the timestamps in the photos. It was eight seconds from the first one to the last one. And I thought, all right, eight seconds is, is wasting the president's time. Yeah, I get that. But my takeaway from that was nowadays, when I, when I do any sort of group photo, I announce ahead of time. All right, everybody, I'm going to shoot five photos or six photos or whatever it might be. And it's four chances to have your eyes open. Everyone kind of giggles. And then they know there's an end in sight. And so that, that was my lesson from President Obama, just... Announce when you're going to stop. They have an expectation, then you can meet it. That's right, because <laughs> I, he's probably thinking this blind squirrel's going to shoot until he finds a nut. And so that, that was my that was my takeaway from photographing President Obama was announce ahead of time when you'll be done. It's good advice. We can add that to the the lighting, composition, background, understanding spouse, geographic proximity. Don't take more than eight seconds photographing the president. Don't take eight, more than eight seconds photographing the president. Matt Kishore, it was great having you here. Enjoy your breakfast. Thank you. With a Side of Knowledge is a production of the Office of the Provost at the University of Notre Dame with support from Soren's Restaurant. Our website is provost.nd.edu slash podcast.